Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Baum with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live today here on the, what is it, the 18th of December, the 19th of December, 2007, with class number, what is it, Deb? 118 in our study on the book of Romans. Folks, listen, we are so good, glad to have you today. We, If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries, you can go to www.biggrace.com. That's www.biggrac.com, which... Deb is so faithfully putting there on the screen if you're watching us live today. And you can check out information about what Raven Ministries is all about. We are an international ministry uh, determined to take the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ into a lost and dying world. So we're so glad that you're here today. Good to have all our friends. Good to have Brother Ivan Itzkowitz from uh, Walk for Christ with us today. I see him, Brother Ivan. Good to have you, my friend, and uh, love you, my brother, and good to have all you other folks that are here with us for the very first time. But yeah, if you want some more information on what Raven Ministries is all about, we'd love you to go to our website. And if you're in a different part of the country, we're actually based out of and broadcasting today out of Daytona Beach, Florida. But if you're in a different part of the country, we have teams that are crisscrossed across the United States and into Canada. And you can go to our website, once again, biggrace.com, and click on Raven Nation at the bottom of the page, and it'll give you locations throughout the United States and in Ontario, Canada, that you can get connected. If you're doing something in your part of the country and you're out on the streets or winning people to Jesus, we'd love to help you in any way that we can. And uh, once again, you can you can uh, go to the website and click on any of those teams, or you can contact my office directly at raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com, and it'll be flashing on the screen there. And we'd love for you to... Uh, to let us know what's going on as well. So, uh, God is doing some tremendous things, and we've just been seeing some some great things in, uh, you know, in what we're doing out on the streets and in this teaching. You know, I've, I've just been blown away how God just does something through the Word of God. And you know, we say to close out every program, if you get into the Word, the Word will get into you, and most assuredly it does. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged on a daily basis by the Word of God. Everything I read, everything I have to teach, folks, listen, I have to get it firsthand, and I have to get. Uh, corrected and, and comforted and straightened out with it and so I, I hope that the word of god is doing its job in every one of our lives just as it is in mine as well so always good to be here always good to to study the word of god study to show ourselves approved unto god rightly dividing this word of truth that way we can be walkmen who need not workmen who need not be ashamed as well so good to have you here today and we just pray that god blesses you and uses you and if you uh, have been haven't been with us in the past you can go to the website and click on the Raven um, Magazine link and go to our blog and you can actually download the previous classes in MP3 format absolutely free of charge. Or if you would like all of the classes, you can uh, send a request to us once again at raven at biggrace.com and let me know that you want a uh, copy of all of the classes and I will send you those on DVD. Santa's helper, if I could get you to mute your microphone so you won't echo through my system. And so uh, if you want a copy of all those classes up to this point, in MP3 format, we would love to uh, send those to you, but that you can listen to them on your computer as well. So we can send those to you, and I can put a couple hundred classes on a DVD, uh, the audio format. We'd love to get that to you free of charge on our dime. So if you want those, you can request those as well, and we'd love to get those to you too. If you have any questions today, please hold those off until after the, the 10 o'clock hour. I will stay and answer any questions that you have pertaining to our 
uh, our study today or if you have other questions out of the scripture, I'll be glad to do it. And at the end of the class, Deb will place my phone number on there and you can actually call us direct and uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, or if you want to meet with someone in a particular part of the country, we can do that as well. So we're glad to have you today. And Santa's Helper, if you would, mute your microphone during the teaching. Appreciate it. That way it won't echo through our system. Okay, once again, folks, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Let's ask God's blessing and, and direction on the service. And, uh, you know, the debate has been settled. Jesus got up and his, uh, the tomb was empty, and so we're not here to debate the Scripture because it's settled. He is seated on the throne in glory, and He's not scooting over uh, for silly things. And so we're not here to be silly and to, to do that. If someone has a, really wants to engage in some type of dialogue with us, we'd love that. But to hide behind the anonymity of a, of a computer screen... Uh, is just ridiculous, and we're not here to get into petty arguments. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. And if there's someone that Ilya is seeking after, after God and wants to uh, engage in some type of a debate or discussion on the Word of God, love to do that. But to be silly uh, is not what I'm here for. I take the Word of God much more serious than that because I know that souls are hanging in the balance and that there's lives at stake. And so we're not going to let the devil come dressed up as a silly young man and circumvent the teaching of the Word of God. So I pray for his soul. I pray that God will save him and convict him. Uh, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to lift up Jesus, and that's what we've come to take over the prince of the power of the air and lift up Christ Jesus to the nation. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come boldly into your throne room of grace and mercy. Lord God, to obtain help in our time of need. And Father, we thank you that we can gather, Lord God, we with all of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and even those, Lord God, that, that may be uh, desiring after you. Father, literally from all across the the, the United States and beyond as we're here today. Lord God, coming to, to sit and absorb your, your Word. Lord God, and we need you today. We have got to have the Holy Spirit as our teacher and as our guide. And we just ask you, Lord God, that you would fill us, Lord God, with all wisdom and understanding. Father, we, we know that with the, the limitations of our own intellect or our own uh, uh, abilities, Lord God, that there is just no way that we can comprehend or absorb that which you're wanting to teach us. But, Father, we ask, Lord God, that, that your word would be made manifest in us. The Scripture tells us, Lord God, that, that we have the mind of Christ. And, Father, we're asking, Lord God, that the mind of Christ would be revealed in us today. That, Father, you'd cause our hearts and our minds and the spirit of understanding, Lord God, to come upon us, Lord God. The spirit of knowledge, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those that, that struggle, Lord God, with retaining your word. And I pray, Lord God, for a healing of their minds and their memories, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would just fill them today with your spirit, Lord God. That the word says that the spirit will lead and guide us into all truth. And I thank you, Lord God, that he is our leader, he is our guide, and Lord God, that his destination for us and all that we do and all that we say, Lord God, is truth. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that in you, Lord God, there, there is truth. Lord God, there's no shadow of turning, there's no debate, there's no deviation, Lord God, that it is settled in Jesus' name. That Father, we don't have to debate, Lord God, the issues of Christianity. It is settled, Lord God, in, in heaven, Lord God. We don't have to debate, Lord God, the existence of Jesus. It's settled, Lord God. Father, we don't have to uh, debate the holiness of God. We don't have to debate the, the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are issues that have been settled, Lord God. And we're not going to get roped into the redundancy, Lord God, of debating things that have been settled. And we thank you, Lord God, that it's settled. But Father, our prayer for, for, Lord God, people like the young man that came in is that you would just convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, Lord God. Father, that you would save them, Lord God. That's our desire. We do, we do not want them to go to hell. Father, because your word says that you would, that none should perish, that would all 
come to repentance. And Father, our prayer is in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that the people such as this that are bound, Lord God, that their mind has been bound by the mind binder, Lord God, that they would be loosed in Jesus' name, that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them, Lord God, that you would free them, Lord God, you would break the, the, that yoke of bondage that's been upon them. We don't know their past. We don't know their experiences. But Father, we know something. We know Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's your unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Father, we just pray, Lord God, for those that are lost and dying. We pray an urgency in our hearts and minds, Lord God, that you would break our hearts, Lord God. You'd break our hearts for the lost, and it would cause us, Lord God, to draw nigh unto you, Lord God, with a pure heart, that we would seek you, Lord God, earnestly with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our strength, Lord Jesus. And we'd have the, the desire, Lord God, to see things the way that you see things, so that we can do things the way that you do things. That we would press into your presence, Lord God, so that we would press into the harvest fields, Lord God, in accordance with uh, Matthew chapter 9, Lord God, that we would earnestly pursue, Lord God, those that, that your grace and mercy are in pursuit of. So, Father, we just ask, Lord God, for you to be here today to fill this place, Lord God, with your presence. And we just ask, Lord God, for you to touch all those that have been sick in their bodies. We ask for healing, Lord God, for the nations, Lord God. We just ask for you to touch and to restore and to, 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 to just ignite, Lord God, physically, Lord God, healing to come upon bodies. Father, we pray for, for Raven Deb as she's about to travel today, Lord God, to spend uh, several days, Lord God, a week or so out in, in California, that you just anoint her, Lord God, just to speak boldly, Lord God, salvation and deliverance and healing to her family, Lord God, as she's there, Lord God, in that environment, Lord God. Just let her be a strength and let her just be a joy to them. Let her come back, Lord God, with so many testimonies of your goodness. Father, we pray for others that will be traveling, Lord God, over the next week. Father, for... Uh the, the holidays. We pray in the name of Jesus you'd keep them safe. Lord God, you'd bring them a safe return. Father, that the word that you've invested in their hearts and lives, Lord God, that it would be a tool, Lord God, as they're going and they're around people that typically they're not. That Father, they would be that voice, Lord God, of, of hope. They'd be that voice of salvation. Lord God, that they would, Father, intersect that word with the grace of God that's being poured out on hearts and lives, Lord God. Just let us have that urgency for this moment, Lord God, where, where, where attention somewhat is being, Lord God, pointed towards the, the, the incarnation, Lord God, the the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as that, that Savior of mankind. Let us take the opportunities that you have given us in that, Lord God, and, and make use of those. And Father, we just thank you that you said, ask of you and you'll give us the nations for your inheritance. And even today, as we speak to the nations, Lord God, we just ask for the, that inheritance to come, the inheritance of souls, Lord God, brought into the kingdom of heaven, Lord God, because of the preaching of the word. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. You know, as I was praying, I thought about it. Man, there is such a tremendous opportunity to uh, to preach really during this time, you know, people come and they they, they they have the cliche that Jesus is the reason for the season, and you know, your gospel's got to be more than that. I mean, if your gospel is just a, a snappy little uh, uh, cliche or a bumper sticker or a fancy uh, T-shirt painted red and green, that's not going to cut it. But but literally, I mean, because uh, you're going to meet so many people that are so stressed out, they're stressed out but they don't have the money, they're stressed out because they're having to go in debt, they're stressed out because they don't have this. Folks, listen, I, I for one, I'm, I don't buy into that that stressful times. I tell people I'm probably the the worst holiday pastor and preacher around because I don't get so caught up in those things. You know, I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day. And so if we can take an, an opportunity around a, a, a time like this, now I don't believe that you know Jesus was born on December 25th. And you know what? That don't make me any difference. You know, I celebrate, you know, I don't just take one day to celebrate his birth. It's, it's great to be able to point to that and utilize it as a tool. But you know, I, I celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection and his coming and the incarnation and the power of his word and his life. 
365 days a year. And so I encourage you to take that opportunity to point people who otherwise uh, aren't mindful of that to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be clerks in stores. There's going to be people in shopping malls, people that are stressed out that you can snatch a hold of and say, are you okay? Are you going under stress? Can I pray for you? Can I take the opportunity? You know what? You're out here buying gifts. Did you know that there was a gift purchased for you? And it's called the gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you know, I want to buy you the most uh, valuable gift. Can I present something to you? And a matter of fact, that may be a gift for uh, a family member. If you want to wrap up uh, wrap up the gift of salvation. Wrap up a make them make them a, a plaque or something with with the system. I want to. This is the, the the most valuable gift ever, and and put a scripture pertaining to salvation and put it under the tree uh, from Jesus or whatever for them. Just an idea as you're wrapping things up and allow that that word to come out and to be sown into people's lives. But take advantage of it. And you know we're really fastly approaching a new year and a new uh, with new opportunities. So man, let's let's get on board with what Christ wants to do in this hour and get it done. So folks, listen, we're gonna we're in the 29th chapter of the book of Rome, excuse me, the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, the 29th verse. And really this 29th verse, and we may be on it just a little bit as usual, uh, it's probably one of the most powerful yet possibly one of the most misunderstood and misappropriated as a result of that passage is in Scripture. You know, I was talking about every Scripture. I, I, I tend to say, man, the, my, one of my favorites or my most exciting. And I, I think what you're going to find is as you get into the, the, the Scripture, and, and God really begins to give you a, an understanding on how to look at the Scripture. I tell people all the time, if you can just ever get to the place where you've got the, the you're, you're operating from the foundational premise of the Word of God, it'll come alive to you. And your understanding on literally the whole of Scripture. If, if you folks that have been in this, and we have several that are here, uh, Lucy and uh, uh, Megan and Pastor Terry and, and Deb and some of these others and, and Eileen that have been literally with us this, this whole time. And what you're going to find is if you can get the basis of the Scripture, which we've really covered so far and, and continue in the book of Romans, What's, what it's going to open up, it's going to open up your level of understanding for the whole of the gospel. And so, this one scripture in the 29th verse, what, what I'm hopeful for, and I, and I hope and I pray, God, give me the words to articulate what I know on an intimate level on the inside that really has helped to govern my, my walk and has produced victory in, in my life over so many things in this 29th verse. And so, I, I want to give you something today, and really it's, it's powerful in respect to what it teaches about the omni-attributes of God. I, I love the fact that I serve a God who cannot fail. I serve a God that is, that is omniscient, who's omnipresent, who's omnipotent. All these omni-attributes that He, he covers everything. He's all-knowing. He's, he's all-powerful. He's, he can be everywhere at the same time. I, I, I'm glad that I don't have a, a God that's just hid out in some corner, or a God that was fashioned out of stone, or uh, out of a out of a uh, out of a log, or a God that's in a tree. I, I praise God that I serve a God who is all and He's in all. And so, what it does it, in, it empowers us to, to to have the power of God operating in our lives. And so, it's powerful in that respect. But probably this 29th verse is probably misunderstood, and and I want to use the word dangerous too. In respect to a lot of erroneous teaching has been perpetuated for generations just based upon the misinterpretation of verse 29 here. And we'll get into some of that today and more so probably tomorrow as well. And so today I want to deal with the basis of this passage and hopefully have time to address some of those fallacies that have resulted in the erroneous teachings concerning verse 29's topic matter. So verse 29 says this. It says, For he uh, whom he did foreknow, speaking of, of, of God, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I want to read that again. From whom he did foreknow, 
He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Folks, listen, when verse 29 here states that whom He did foreknow, what it's speaking of is that foreknowledge of God. That God has a foreknowledge, or God is omniscient, or which means that He knows absolutely everything, past, present, and future. There is no limitation to God's, uh, to God's knowledge of everything. So anything that you have in your life, God knows. Anything that you've done, anything that you're experiencing, anything that you thought, anything that you felt, anything that you've had to endure, God knows. And so we, we think so, so many times, you know what, God is just a, oblivious to our plight or God doesn't understand what I'm going through or God uh, uh, has too many uh, irons in the fire to be concerned with us. Folks, listen. He knows everything about you and He's concerned about everything in your life. You know, a lot of times, you know, I think with, when, especially in the aspect of prayer, so many people... Uh, you know, when we go to God and we we call it prayer, but really it becomes just this uh, endless petition. It's almost like a child is filling out a Christmas list for Santa Claus and wanting to go sit on his knee. We say, okay, I want this, 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 or this. And we make this laundry list of things that we want and we go to him. And uh, he, he tells us, though, he says, I know what you have need of even before you ask. And many times in our relationship with Jesus, we, we need to go to him knowing that he is this, that he is omniscient, that he knows everything. That there's nothing that escapes him. And what that will do, I believe, if you can grab a hold of, of just what he says in those, what, one, two, three, four, five verses, whom he did, uh, five words, from whom he did foreknow. If we can just get around that, I tell you what, it's going to change so many things about your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to change your prayer life. It's going to change your worship. It's going to, it's going to change your, your hope. It's going to change your plans. Everything about your life, if you can just get those five words, will be so greatly influenced. And I'm, you're going to see that today. And so what this is saying is that God is able to look down through what we may refer to as the corridors of time. And, you know, uh, or, and see every event even to the most minute detail. Uh, uh, and He can see it before, after, and, and during when it's occurring. And so I've asked the question to many people over the years. I may have asked some of you at, at, at a particular time. Have you ever felt that God was disappointed in you? Have you ever felt that God was disappointed in something you did, something you said, the way you acted? Have you ever felt God's disappointment? Have you said, you know what? I know that what I'm doing is disappointing unto God. Has anybody ever felt that? Lucy said, yes, right out here. Uh, Deb right here said uh, that she's felt that as well. And so, I've I got to break some news to you today regarding that. And uh, just as I've broke that news to, to people over the years, this is just, that's just not possible. God, God is not disappointed in you. And I hope, I hope what I'm telling you, and Pastor Meredith says he's not real happy with me. And, uh, but folks, listen, God does not have the ability to be disappointed. And you know, many times the scripture used terminologies that's, uh, I guess you could call it uh, anthropomorphic, uh, so to speak, which means that God utilizes things in relationship to human terms. But, you know, that's his foreknowledge, and there's a utilization of those terms somehow. And I think what it does, it diminishes our understanding or even our faith in what God knows. And so, but the scripture always gives us this constant uh, uh, representation that God has perfect knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. Folks, you know what disappointment is? What is disappointment? Disappointment, by definition, is unmet expectations. Okay? 
That's what a disappointment is. If I'm if if, if I'm disappointed with someone, that means that I had a, an expectation from them. If if I told my child, listen, son, when I get home, I want you to rake the grass and, and mow it, and because I've got company coming over and I want the grass and the, the yard to look nice, and I come home and it's not been done, you know what? I'm going to be disappointed. Why? Because he said, Dad, I'll do that for you. I'll get on that, and I'm thinking, okay, people are going to come and they're not going to have to sift through our weeds or our high grass. Now, I have an unmet expectation because I've already visualized my grass being cut. I've already visualized the house. I've already, I have an expectancy. I always think that. Or, or what about when, when, when maybe one of you ladies expected that uh, diamond ring you circled in that Zales flyer and left on your husband's desk? Uh, and you expected it to be wrapped in a, in a, in a, in a pretty paper and put under the, uh, the tree on Christmas. Yet when you opened that jewel box that you found it was just a gold necklace with a diamond encrusted logo from your husband's favorite football team. And he thought, well, I love that football team. Surely my wife would want that dangling around her neck. And plus it's got diamonds on it. What would that be? That would be an unmet expectation. Or, or what about, uh, when you visit a new restaurant and some friend is recommended as the, the best in town. And so you schedule an anniversary dinner. And so you go there and you put, a, all you she's saying, we're going to have this great dinner. It's going to be candlelit. And you get there and you, you get a bunch of undercooked chicken and you get a bill that was twice what you expected. The, the servants is shoddy. What is that? That is an unmet expectation. And so, folks, listen, disappointments are the result of human expectancies falling short of that which we have already visualized in our mind. And so I want to say that again. Disappointments are the results of human expectancies falling short of that which we have already visualized in our own mind. I think sometimes what happens, we, 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 we use the, the thing that God is disappointment because it makes us feel better. And it, it makes us so in control. It makes us thinking that, 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 uh, that we somehow tripped Him up and we've just, He's just throwing His hands up in there. Folks, listen, that's not the God I serve. I, got, I, I serve a God who knows everything, who's done everything, that, that operates on a level far above I, what I could ever think. And so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm serving a God who's always just slapping his, his, his leg and saying, I can't believe that happened again, that's what disappointment is. But I'm serving a God that literally holds the universe in the span of His hand. And so what it does for me, it empowers me knowing who I rely upon. You know, and I've said this many times about my, my kids and, you know, my daughter Kayla in school. And, and you know, if, if anything, you know, Kayla trusts her dad. She does. She's got a complete confidence in her dad. Because why? I've, I've never given her the reason to be disappointed. I, I've, I've been there for her. And folks, listen, that's with the, the limitations in my human frailty. But think about our Heavenly Father. Think about the one that we've been adopted under the blood and we've been heirs together with Christ Jesus. Listen, he, he's seen those things. He's, he's, he's experienced those things in the now. And so, uh, God has never been disappointed in you because He cannot be let down in the human sense of the word. Because it's, it, when we're let down, it's based upon something not happening according to what we thought was going to happen. Okay? Now, is there anything that God thinks is going to happen that does not happen? No. Because God already knows what's going to happen. And so the reason for this is that God's knowledge of things is not limited by time and space because time is something that was designed for mankind. We're always waiting for something to happen. We're always looking forward to something. We're always concerned about this. Am I running late? Am I going early? It's only how many days, Meg, until Mardi Gras? She's always putting that on. You, th you see the concern we have this. We're clicking off things, saying, you know, only X amount of shopping days until Christmas. Everything that we do is governed by that. We wear watches on our arms. We have them on our wall. We set them on our bedstead. Yeah, we have them in our dash in our vehicle. They're in our cell phones. So everything that we do is, is based upon these increments of 
of time. Folks, listen. God does not function within those parameters. Time was something that was created for us by God to, to, to establish some parameters for us. But think about this. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 16 through 19, 44 days, Meg says. Thank you, Meg. Genesis 1, 16 through 19 says this. And it says, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Folks, listen. Prior to the fourth day, there wasn't the sunset and the sunrise. There was this God who who is... The light of the world. One day, you know what? The scripture tells us in the book of Revelation, it says there's not going to be any more need for a son. Why? Because we're, we've stepped out of the realm of the temporal into the realm of the eternal. Because everything's going to radiate from Him. Can you imagine one day in eternity as a believer looking up and not having to cover your, your hand from the sun? That there's always there's that light that's going to be there because it radiates not from what God did in Genesis 1, but because who God was and is prior to Genesis chapter 1? Now think about that just for a minute. That's the God I serve. I'm not waiting on tomorrow to happen. That's why everything in Him is new every morning. Because everything is fresh. Everything There's nothing recycled. There's no past. There's no present. There's no future. There's just, boom, there's just the now in Christ Jesus. So prior to this, there was neither day or night or that human expression of time. There was just, there was. There was Him. He was. And so, who is He? He is the I Am. He was and is and is to come. So man is always waiting on something to happen, but God does not operate in that realm because God sees everything right now. Folks, I want to say this in relationship to this. You've probably never put these two things together, and I hope that you can, and I, and I hope for, somehow I can, I, can, I can communicate this to you. God is holy. Okay? I want to say that to you. God is holy. Say that to yourself. God is holy. And, and part of what we're seeing here in Romans 8.29 is the holiness of God. So when I say for God who, who, who He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the for, firstborn, speaking of Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Folks, listen, what that is doing is that is giving you a summation of the holiness of God. And you, you, you may not see it in that verse 29 yet, but hopefully you will. Folks, listen, we think holiness is merely walking in accordance to a prescribed moral standard. So we think, okay, be holy as He is holy. Okay, so if I'm holy, then I'm walking, I'm, I'm, I'm not killing, I'm not stealing, I'm not lying, I'm loving, I'm doing all these things that God has told me to do. I'm, I'm holy based upon my uh, walking accordance to a standard that's been established. Uh, uh, in, in other words, holiness is not, uh, let, me, let me say this, but you have to ask yourself the question first. Who sets the standard? If holiness is derived from just meeting the qualifications of a particular standard, then who sets the standard? And so, in respect to God... Holiness is not merely a description of His actions, but also of His attributes. Okay, I want to say that again. Holiness is not a description of His actions, but also of His attributes. And I say that in regards to this. When it talks about before God did foreknow, He's talking about His omniscience. That is an omni-attribute. And so that's the attributes of God. And so everything about God radiates. He, he's present because God is present. God is everywhere. Not because He's heading this way or going there. Because everything encompasses where He is. And so I'm not waiting for Him to show up. I'm not trying to call down His presence. I'm not doing all these type of things which we do in Christianity because we forget, you know, let's just invite the presence in. He's already here. 
Okay, His presence is here. Well, what I need to do is ready myself to, 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 to know Him, to, to be on the same wavelength, to be in the same walk, and to be an understanding that His presence is here. Because if once I get to that point, now what is it? Now I'm not sitting here thinking if I do the right song, or if I create the right environment, or I have the, 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 the right ambiance, He's going to get here. And so you don't, oh, that baby better not cry during the service, because if the baby cries, it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Folks, listen, He has been hearing babies cry for 6,000 years and he's not like some scared ch- scared chicken that's going to run out of the room. He, he's not going to get offended if somebody wears a cap into the church. He's been seeing hats on heads for 6,000 years. He's been, he's, he sees the hat on your head in church just like he saw it in the car. He sees everything. And so what we do is we want to reduce the omni-attributes of God. But once you, uh, once you reduce the omni-attributes, what you end up doing is you reduce the holiness of God. Because all of those things work in conjunction. And so what happens is, because we begin to pigeonhole God into increments of time, that two hours on Sunday, or this particular address, or this building that's got a cross on it, or this one that's got stained glass window, or this one that's called a sanctuary, or this one that's called a worship center, whatever. And so what we do is we limit where He is. And as a result, we limit the effects of His holiness in our hearts and lives just strictly, and they become derived out of a religious experience rather than knowing the omni-attributes that God is everywhere all the time. And so, once again, I'm giving you some stuff that you're, gonna, you're really going to have to pray about and get God to give you some revelation on to the deeper things. And so, the foreknowledge of God is just not His means of looking forward, okay? But it's the characteristics of all that He is and all that He does. And so everything that God does is a foreknowledge. And, and so this affords him the unique, unique position of always making righteous judgments based upon complete and total knowledge of evidence and actions relating to everything. And so everything that God does is totally righteous. Everything that God does is, 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 is totally justified. Everything that, that God does is holy because God has a, a foreknowledge. You know, uh, you, you turn on the television, you see... You, you see uh, starving children. How could God do that? Because God didn't do that. God's 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 uh, God's holy. God's righteous. He has a foreknowledge of every single situation. So what we're always doing is, well, you know, I hear people ask the question. So how can God allow uh, uh, bad things to happen to good people? Because God's holy. Because God has already seen everything. God sees what you don't see. God knows what led up to that situation. God knows what brought about the famine in Sudan. God knows what about what brought about the rebellion that in, uh, that caused the, the the Holocaust. God knows all those things. And so when we see that God knows everything, even the things that we can't see because it's not intrinsic to our nature, and we come to that conclusion, God, you've seen everything. And so God, whatever I have to go through, praise you because you know every detail of it. God, I thank you that it's not like some courtroom where they're hiding evidence over here or they're trying to spin something. Everything that God does, everything that, that God decides, His judgments are pure, His judgments are righteous. God is justified in those things. Even as David said in the 51st psalm. He said, you know what? He said, you desire truth in the inward parts. He said, that way you might be justified when you judge. And so God looks at those inward parts. He sees the dark, hidden places. He sees the recesses. And so we may say to ourselves, you know, I I didn't deserve to go through that. If you went through that, you deserve to go through that based upon the foreknowledge of God and everything that He knows. And so how many times has God uh, brought correction into your life in an area that you did not even realize that you were in need of correction. Anybody here? Yeah. Deb's over here saying, Hallelujah. Here she's running the she's running the the, uh, the the studio today. So how many times has God brought correction and you thought to yourself, Man, I didn't even know I needed that. 
or you got convicted of a certain thing and you said, I didn't even know I was doing that. What is that? That's based upon the foreknowledge of God. It's based upon His omniscience. God knows what's going on. And so even though you don't see it, what God is doing is He's working on those things. And, and He doesn't just lead if you think, man, I got a spanking from God. No, God's been leading up to that opportunity to share those things with you. But He's just pre- preparing you to, to receive it, receive the rec- corrections, receive the righteousness. That way it would produce His righteousness in your life. And so... Uh, This is that foreknowledge of God at work. And so remember, folks, I want to say this to you. Foreknowledge cannot be simply viewed from the standpoint of Him looking and predicting the future. And so when you hear the foreknowledge, for Him He did foreknow, we always think we hear foreknow, foreshadowing, that it's always something that God is looking at and predicting the future. It's some prophetic. And there's this big thing on the prophetic movement and the prophetic word, all these things looking forward. And, and most of that stuff has nothing to do with the prophetic whatsoever. And so when God does it, it simply can't be viewed as, as, as looking in the future or predicting it. But He does not see the future. Okay, I want to say this. God does not see the future. And I'm going to pause because you're thinking, huh? God does not see the future. God is the future. Okay? God does not see the future. God is the future. And so what we want to think is that God, okay, He sits on this perch and that He's like just some oracle that has a floating orb in His hand and He's looking and seeing these things that are going to unfold. We see that. We, 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 we see God as this Hollywood figure that's in this isolated place and we have to crawl, uh, crawl up on this tall tower and go through all these, these, these tests and all these things on the way and, and meet these monsters along the way. And also, we, finally we come to God who's got this great crystal ball in His hand and He says, okay, let me read your future. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Folks, listen. God does not see the future. God is the future. He is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. What does it tell you? God is God is time. God has is, is, is brought about that existence of time based out of His His knowledge of eternity because that's who He is. He's the future. He's the past. He's the present. He is right now. Now think about this for a second. This is interesting. And it, it says in Malachi chapter three verse six. Malachi three six. Anytime people hear Malachi 3.6, they think someone's about to take up an offering. But, <laughs> well, let's go to Malachi 3.6. Uh, will the man rob God? That's not where we're at today. So Malachi 3.6 says this. It says, I am the Lord and I change not. I am the Lord and I do not change. Now, I could take a picture of you. I could take a picture of Pastor Meredith here and, and, and get a picture from him from you know the, the, the 1980s. And you know what? We're going to say, man, that brother's changed. He looks a lot different. I could get a picture of Pastor Terry from the 70s and I could say, man, that brother sure has changed. You can look at me from the, the early 80s and I had hair down the middle of my back and say, man, that guy has sure changed. But God says, I'm the, 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 I'm the Lord God. I change not. Now, change is the result of what? The passage of time. Now, with God, because there's no passage of time, who He is is who He was. Who He is is who He will be. So with us, we change as a result of the clicking off of the clock or the, the flipping of the days on the calendar, but God is who He is. And so if you don't like who God is now, don't wait around for another version of Him because in a, in a billion years from now, He's still going to be God because the same God that, that spoke right here in Genesis chapter 1 is the same God that's going to be speaking eons from now. He is the same God and He does not change. But what's interesting about that word change, it's the, it's the, it's the word shana in the Greek in the Hebrew, excuse me. And it means this. It means to be altered in any way. If you want an English spelling, you can spell it S-H-A-W-N-A-H so somebody can actually pronounce it. 
shana, that means to be altered in any way, to do again, but it also gives the connotation in the Hebrew, it says in respect of time or increments of time, it means to do over or to do something again. And so it means that God is not altered in any way. He, he does not have to do something again in the increments of time. It's not a do-over. So God is not having to go back and correct anything. God is not going to have to go back and fix anything. Because in respect to God, everything that God does is perfect. Why? Because he, he knows. He, he is not limited by, by disappointment. He's not limited by waiting for something to happen and cause and effect. Everything that we do is cause and effect. Everything that we do, we're operating under that law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If I hit my hand with a hammer, I'm going to go out. So I'm waiting for something to happen. If I go to work, I'm going to get paid. If I don't work, I don't eat. And so everything about us is always based upon cause and effect. But with God, He said, I am the Lord God. I do not change. Malachi 3, six. And so it's, it's, it's not an issue of time clicking off or something happening. And so if He is God and He is never altered and there is no do-over, and that He is not limited, that He is not influenced, that He is not affected in any way by time, then one could simply conclude that whatever God does or God has decided to do is within the confines of a full disclosure or the thoughts and the intents of a man's heart. In other words, He is righteous in all that He does because righteousness is who He is. And so God, whatever He does, whatever He says, whatever He desires, whatever He wants to do is always righteous and justified. Folks, listen, if you've ever lived that Christian life, and hopefully you're not still there, if you're there and you're thinking, man, I can't believe this happened, and you're shaking your fist at heaven, and, and you're, you're angry at God, and you're saying, God, why did you let that happen? Folks, you need to get over it. You need to repent and believe the God of the Bible that already knows the end from the beginning. And, you know, we, we, we think about things in such human terms. We think about in, in, in that anthropomorphic type of way, or, or utilizing the, the things of the flesh, or, or how we understand things. Folks, listen, if you're operating that, man, I tell you what, you're going to wear yourself out. Because what you're going to think is, well, if, as long as God, if God didn't perform based upon my expectancy, then I'm going to be disappointed in God. Folks, listen. Whatever God delivers to me, I know that it's in the, it's, it's in, it's in the best interest of His holiness. Now, did you hear what I said? It's not in the best interest of my holiness. Folks, listen. I'm just a, I'm just a created individual. And I'm, I'm just tickled to death, as I put it, to, to, to know Him and to serve Him and to be redeemed by Him. I am so grateful. But God does not owe me anything. Because God is so limited, anything He sees is justified. It's perfect. Why? Because He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. And so if I have to endure some pain, if I have to endure some sorrow, if I have to go through some hardship, whatever it is, God is justified. Because here, at any point, if, if, if I said, you know what, God, I don't want anything. To... You know what? He could obliterate my existence. He could. Praise God that He hasn't. But God could make it as though I never existed. And you know what? No one would ever know that He did that. No one, ever, no one would ever know that I never existed. Because God would erase me from time if He wanted to. Praise God that He don't function that way because of His, His grace and His love and His mercy for people. But God has within His power to do that. You don't like it, He could obliterate you. God doesn't want that. So what does God do? He provides us an opportunity to know Him and to be known by Him. Folks, listen. We don't know, we're not what we're going to be. But the Word says when we see Him, we're going to be as He is. And so we're going to step out of the limitations of time and we're going to step into eternity. We're not going to be sitting waiting for something to happen. And people always think, well, what are we going to be doing for all eternity? And you know, we look at the four and twenty elders. It says that they're casting their crowns before Him day and night and doing these. Man, I wonder if they're getting tired. Why? Look how we think. Folks, listen. In eternity, everything is going to be in the now. 
And there's going to be such a desire for him and such a desire for that. There's going to be no weariness. There's going to be no uh, uh, frailty. There's going to be no fatigue. None of those things. So knowing that God knows all things, literally, for me, I I can say on a personal level, knowing that God knows all things, that God is omnipresent, all those omnipresent attributes we talk about, is liberating for me. Even if not totally comprehensible to me. It's liberating to me. Because I know I only have a finite ability to be able to comprehend those things. And so it's liberating. It's probably one of the most liberating things that I could ever imagine. Is that, that knowing that God knows all things and God is doing all things. And God has already seen the end from the beginning. I don't have to walk around stressed out. And so folks, listen. This foreknowledge that he possesses literally should be the foundation of your faith. Do I need to say that again? The foreknowledge of God, or what we're seeing right here in Romans 8.29, for whom He did foreknow, literally should be the foundation of your faith in God. I know the things that God has told me. I know the things that God has spoken to me. I know the things that He has said way out here. And so, you know what, for me, I'm not a person that operates under a bunch of stress. I'm really not. I'm not a worry wart. I tease people all the time, well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm just really depressed. And it's really a joke because people know that I'm really not like that. I'll say, well, you know, I'm just crying over spilt milk. I don't function like that because I know that God already knows those things. Uh, are there trials? Are there tests? Yeah, I go through the same things that, that everyone else does. But what helps me get through those trials and through those tests is knowing that God has this foreknowledge, that God has already seen those things, that God loves me, and as we studied just a couple days ago, that God will cause all things to work together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so when my purpose lines up with God's foreknowledge, and I love Him because I keep His commands, then there's an expected end for me in Christ Jesus. And so my expected end can be realized in the now, even though it's not materialized in the now. It can be realized or understood or 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 or, or uh, walked out in faith even though I'm not seeing the tangible manifestation of it in the now because I know God's already seen it. And God is not a man that He should lie or the son of a man that He should repent. And so God, when God speaks to my heart and says you can be, you're, you're set free by the blood of the Lamb or you're healed by the blood of Jesus or, or, or you're delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? Even though I may not feel it or touch it in time, in eternity, because God has said it, it's the reality of now. And so, when, when, when God sees your life, when He sees those that, that, that we're talking about here, those he, whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to become uh, conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn of many brethren. He sees you in the now. It's a snapshot. And so, God's not waiting for something to happen. And so, in eternity... You know, you think about, you read the Scripture, we read about the patriarchs of old, we read about the, the creation in heaven. God doesn't see that thing as 6,000 years ago. God sees what He did then and what's going on right now. Everything is a snapshot. We're always looking at, at multimedia. We're waiting for the clicking off. Everything that God sees is in a still photo. Now think about it. He sees the whole picture right now. And so I know what's going to happen because that picture has already been drawn. That has already been concluded. And so what am I going to stress about now? God's working it out. God's done doing it. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm an heir together with Christ. And if I can just have that as the, as the foundation of my faith. So folks, listen. That, that foreknowledge that of, and having that foundation, literally it should be the hope for all who struggle and are praying for an answer. What are you praying for? What do you believe in God for? What you, what you need to do is come back and say, you know what? God is not uh, moved. He is not uh, changed. He, he is not waiting for the increments of time. God has already provided the answer. Let me give you an example of that. 
In the book of Exodus, I believe it's uh, chapter 30, 32, somewhere in there, when, uh, uh, when, when Moses uh, uh, speaks to God and he tells him to show me your glory. And, and he, because God had prefaced that by saying, ask me whatever you will and I'll show it to you. And so Moses said, I want you to see your glory. Now, at the moment, Moses did not see the glory. He put him, he said, let me put you in the cleft of the rock. And it says, God came by and he saw his hinder parts. Now, was that what he asked for? He didn't. And so we say that Moses ended up dying, didn't enter the promised land, and he missed out on that. But did he? Well, I can fast forward about 1,500 years, I believe, to the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew. And who do we see on the Mount of Transfiguration? We see Jesus there in his glory with Moses and Elijah. And so even though we were looking at it incrementally in time, well, he didn't get to see it. All he got to see was the hinder parts. Well, because God is not affected by time and space, 1,500 increments of time later, what happened? Moses saw the glory of God made manifest. And and he wasn't saying, man, it's about time. He didn't say that. Why? Because once he passed from the the limitations of time and space, no, no time had passed. It was just like he said, I want to see your glory, and boom, he saw the glory of God revealed. Folks, listen, for us it's the same thing. You know, that prayer was on the way, but the answer was already being made manifest. But just the the, the ocular or the physical or the tangible manifestation, folks, does not mean that the answer is there. He says that by His stripes you are healed. Listen, I'm already healed. You know, I'm not waiting on healing. I am healed based upon what He has already said. I, I, I am saved, but I'm just waiting on the manifestation of that salvation when I'm going to be changed and transformed. And so if we walk in accordance to that type of foundation of faith, I mean, what is, what is it that takes all the stress off? And so there's an expectancy that comes out. When I share the gospel with someone, I expect them to get saved because he tells me if I go and preach the gospel that people are going to get saved. If I lay hands on the, the sick, I'm expecting them to, to get well. If I'm op- operating within the parameters, that if, if someone's bound by something and I, I, and, and I know they love God and they're called according to his, 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 his purpose, I know that there's going to be a freedom and a deliverance in that. So all of those things, it should, it should, that should be the light at the end of our tunnel just as it's the light at the beginning of our tunnel and the light in the middle of our tunnel. It should be the light. His Word, which He's saying right here in, in Romans 8.29, is the lamp unto our feet. Where are our feet? They're hooked unto our now. Do you hear me? They're, and they're a light unto our path. They're, they're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lamp. It's the illumination now. It's the illumination where I'm going. It's the illumination of all things that I can experience. And so, it, it's that, it, it carries me through the darkness and through any danger that I may be trying to face. And so, all of my opinions should be governed by my knowledge of God's foreknowledge. Okay? All of my opinions, all of my actions should be derived from my understanding of God's foreknowledge. Everything as a believer in Christ. Now, if I'm lost, folks, listen. My mind is messed up, but as a believer, I've got the mind of Christ. I've let this mind become in me. I'm not conformed to the image of this world. The image of this world is 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 an image that's always waiting for something to happen. But transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A will that is not limited by time and space. To be transformed. That's the exact... Think about it. That's the exact same word it's metanoeo in, in the Greek, and, and it means it's the exact same word that was used at the Mount of Transfiguration. And so I'm, I am, I'm transformed. So what am I getting to see? I'm getting to see the glory. I'm getting to see the answer to the prayer. I'm getting to see it. Why? When I'm, I've allowed that to become the foundation of everything that I believe and everything that I do in Christ Jesus. So, folks, listen. We cannot simply see the foreknowledge of God as God's ability to see into the future, but also as God's ability to produce 
righteousness in our lives because of who He is in the scope of things. And so my foreknowledge, uh, or God's foreknowledge, or my knowledge of His foreknowledge, or, or my understanding of His foreknowledge should produce righteousness in me. Why? Because if I know in God's foreknowledge that, that I'm going to stand before Him one day, let me just take a snapshot of it. I'm going to stand before a holy and righteous God. Now, if I really believe that God's foreknowledge, that God said it's appointed unto man once to die and then to judgment, if I see all of that in the now, what's that going to produce? It should produce the fear of God in my life in the now that's going to cause me to walk in holiness and integrity and in character and in righteousness right now. It should produce that. Why? Because I've got the revelation and the realization that God has already seen me standing before Him. God has already seen me coming in contact with His holiness, with His power, with His presence right at that place. And so what should I do? I should govern my life now as I see it in that thing that does change, it is uh, uh, clicking off incrementally in time based upon what is going to happen because God has already seen it is happening. And so uh, uh, we've we, we got to see it producing that thing in our life. He knows all because He is all. And since He is all, He is righteous in all that He does, whatever He decides to do. And so what that does allows me to understand what Paul spoke of in places such as Colossians chapter 1, Verses 23-24. Colossians 1, 23-24. And he says, If indeed, if indeed, if indeed you continue in faith, if indeed you continue in allowing that to be the foundational aspect in what you see, knowing that, 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 that God is, is, that I have that moral compunction, there's something in me that, that, that stands on the truthfulness of God, that conviction, that something, that foreknowledge, knowing that God is omnipresent, omniscient, He's omnipotent, all those things, I have that faith. And if I continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, Colossians 1, 23-24, thank you, Deb, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Okay, what do you say? If I continue in faith, if I'm grounded in knowing who God is, the holiness and the righteousness, the, the omniscience of God, His ability to look and to foreknow, and I'm grounded and steadfast in that and not moved away from the hope. Folks, listen. My God's foreknowledge and my understanding of my, or my limited knowledge of what God knows allows me and provides for me hope. But if I move away from that hope and I'm thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. I sure hope God comes through. What does it do? I'm hopeless. I, I don't have it. I'm just, everything that I do is built upon uncertainty. It's built upon sand. But when I come to the thing and I say, you know what, I know who I serve. I know that I don't have to sit and debate with, with some atheist or debate with some clown. Over there. It's settled for me. And so I, I have a hope. I have a strength because I know Him. And it transcends anything I see because I know what God has says. And so Paul said, it, it will not, you will not be moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And he said this. He said as a result of that in verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1, he says, I now can rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. And so Paul the Apostle was saying, listen, I'm going through some things. But because I already have a foreknowledge of what God has showed me, that He gave me a revelation, that he, I got to see into the third heaven, and I got to wipe my brow and say, praise God, you know what, there's things I can't even tell you. It's unlawful for me to speak because it would blow you away. And honestly, I don't have the words to say it anyway. It just wouldn't be anything that, that you could put words to. But he said, I know I'll understand one thing. That, that, that His grace is sufficient for me. That God's influence is enough for me in whatever situation that I'm going to be in. <clears throat> and he said, so I can, as a result, I can rejoice in my sufferings. 
Why? Because I know that God's already seen the end from the beginning. I have a trust beyond my suffering. I have a trust beyond my situation. I have a trust beyond my failure. I have a trust beyond my stumbling. I have a trust beyond my inability. I have a trust that's in Him because of who He is, not just what He does. And so, I know, folks, listen, what I'm talking about, which is, is quite a bit, and I'm, I can't even believe we've nearly flown through this whole hour with this. It's, it's probably a difficult concept to kind of grasp because of just how we're wired. Like I said, we got wristwatches and clocks by our beds and on our walls and in our car. And so, we think so incrementally and it tends to influence all of our actions and attitudes. But I want to, I want to give you another scripture. John chapter 5, verse 30. John 5, 30. He said, I can of myself do nothing as I hear. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, I cannot do anything of myself, do nothing. He says, as I hear, I judge, and my Father's judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father has sent me. Folks, listen. He says, I can of my own self do nothing. He says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. How is his judgment? It's just. And so the justice that he has, and, and God being just, is based upon his omniscience. So everything that the Son did flowed out of the Father. And so everything that the Father does produces justice. And so whatever you're going through, whatever your situation, don't think for a minute that you can shake your, your fist at heaven and say, God, why did you do that? Because everything that God is, is, He's a justifier and He is just in what He does. And here's another scripture for you quickly. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, listen. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author and finisher of all that we do when we are built upon the foundation of faith. He sees those things. He has established those things. So He knows the end from the beginning because He has already seen the end from the beginning. So everything that God is is in the now and we just do not need to forget that. Second Peter chapter three, verse one through eight. Second Peter chapter three, verses one through eight. This is so great, and I'm going to close with this this morning, so I'm just about out of time. It says he says this, Peter writing in Second Peter three, verses one through eight. He says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I said I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Okay? I'm giving you this because I want to stir up something in your pure minds by way of remembrance. That you be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and our Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come, uh, come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, their own desires. <coughs> Have you met any of those scoffers? Have you seen those things? We've seen them right here today. Knowing this first, that there shall be come in the last days scoffers walking according to their own lust. Verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? You know, you said something's going to happen. You said he's got a foreknowledge. And what are they going to say? He don't know what's going to happen. It's just live and let live. You know, just live for the moment. One day you're going to be gone and that's just it. Is that not what they're saying? And, we, and he said, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just like they were from the beginning of creation. So what are they doing? They're try he said, in the last days, people are going to try to bring you within the increments of time. They're going to say, listen, the beginning of creation, where are the promises? There's an end to it. Nothing's going to happen. It's just some random thing that one day it's all going to come to an end. But he says, for this they willing are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world was then, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now. And he says, listen, I created all those things. Everything that you're sweating from the beginning, listen, the only reason it's there is because I spoke those things. 
Then he says this, By the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. I emphasize that because if I read that to you, you'd never emphasize the words, By the same word are kept in store. He said, They're kept in store, reserved unto fire, uh, unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. What does that mean? That means that God is not governed by time and space. For us, we look at a thousand years and we think, man, that's a long time. God says, really, for me, it's just like a day. <clears throat> we think a day is a short time. And God says, really, for me, it's just like a thousand years. In other words, listen, a day, a thousand years, six months, six weeks. And so some of you folks, you've been waiting for the promises of God. And you said to yourself, listen, uh, what, what's happening in my life? For God, you know what? It just seems so... Uh, I could such a delay. Folks, listen. Just trust God. Just rely on His faithfulness. Just know what God is speaking. Just know that God is faithful. He's not slack concerning His promises. But what's interesting about that, he says all these things that you see, he said they are kept in store. That word kept in store is the Greek word. It's thesrodritzo. Thesrodritzo. T-H-E-S-S-O-R-I-D-Z-O. T-H-E-S-S-O-R-I-D-Z-O. And listen to what it, it, it means. It means to gather up, to lay up. These things are kept in store. But metaphorically, it also means to live from day to day as to increase either the bitterness or the happiness of one's consequent lot. So it means that I'm living from day to day as to increase either the bitterness or the happiness of one's consequent lot. And so if whatever I see or experience is kept in store, or if I can view it as, as living today as if I was living in eternity, I'm going to say that again. If I can live today as though I was living in eternity, then what this does, it causes me to be kept in store and it increases my joy, faith, and trust of my consequent lot. Or in other words, if I'm living today as though I'm living in eternity, then I'm, I'm joyous regardless of what I'm going through. I'm, go, I'm joyous regardless of what I'm, what's happening in my life. I'm joyous of what's, uh, what I'm having to endure. And so I'm, I'm, I'm gracious to go through those, uh, the, the situations. And I'm going to close with Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Folks, listen. Romans 8.29, that for that foreknowledge. Listen, it is, if we begin to think about it in, in this reality, just break it down. It is a difficult concept to understand. Why? Because we do. We're so finite. We operate in the now. But He wants to bring us a peace that passes understanding. Where does that come out of? That comes out of the holiness and the righteousness of God that comes out of those omni-attributes. We're totally out of time. If you have any questions, I'll stick around here in a minute and, and add those. And Deb will put the, the telephone number on the screen, 504-202-0939, 504-202-0939. But we're going to dive into this. There is so much good stuff in, in, in Romans 8.29. And we're going to deal with some of the, the things that... that that this doesn't say. I told you something, one thing that it does say in this about the fact that, that through that foreknowledge and what that is to us. But I'm going to get into some things that have been taught literally for centuries that the, that the Word of God just does not teach. And they have led to literally great error and they've resulted in many people spending eternity in hell. So folks, listen, got one bit of advice for you today. Get into God's Word and God's Word will get into you.